It's Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. From KLCC News, this is the Northwest Passage. A ban on single-use plastic bags takes effect statewide in Oregon. The results of the next census could mean an additional congressional representative for the state. We'll look back on the big stories of 2019 and talk about our New Year's resolutions. These stories and more on this edition of the Northwest Passage podcast. Support for the Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Northwest Passage podcast. I'm KLCC News Director Rachel McDonald. And I'm reporter Brian Bull. And I'm reporter Chris Lehman. Happy New Year. It's 2020. And we're not only in a new year, but also coming off the holiday period and back into more regular days. I wanted to highlight some of the stories we featured on KLCC in the past couple days. A ban on styrofoam containers took effect in Eugene this past week. It requires restaurants to switch out their containers to non-polystyrene materials. And some businesses are still transitioning away from the containers. As KLCC's Karen Richards reports, the city is giving them time to make the change so they're not throwing away more stuff. And Chris, you reported on the statewide ban on plastic bags. Right. These are the uh, plastic bags you get at the checkout line in supermarkets and um, and really a lot of other kinds of retail stores as well. Now, this, this ban might not be noticed depending on where you live because many of the state's largest cities, including Eugene, have already had a ban on these uh, plastic bags you get at the checkout stand. So it would be people living um, in, in other areas that did not already have that ban that will notice a difference the first time you go to the store in the new year. If you haven't already, you'll either need to bring your own re- usable bag, or the law allows uh, stores to distribute paper bags, um, but requires the stores to charge at least five cents per bag uh, when you do that. So uh, a different mindset to get into as you head out shopping. No more will you come home with a bunch of plastic bags. I know a lot of people uh, use those plastic bags for picking up um, pet waste or to put into um, small trash cans around their house. So some adjustments uh, as a result of this. Um, Proponents of this change have said it will cut down on litter uh, from those plastic bags, as well as um, push people towards a more uh, environmentally sustainable option, such as recycled paper or uh, reusable bags that can have thousands of uses. But again, a a new statewide ban on checkout bags made of uh, plastic, uh, single-use plastic bags, they call them, uh, is in effect now in Oregon. And I'm going to have to start training my cats to use the toilet now because those (laughs) plastic bags are very handy for uh, scooping out and taking away cat litter. But now there's a new few tricks I need to learn. (laughs) Good luck with that, Brian. Yes. (laughs) So, Chris, we'll talk a little more about some of the new laws in Oregon that took effect this year. But I wanted to mention some reporting from Tom Bonsi this week on how Oregon, Washington, and California are investing millions of dollars in the census, which starts next month. And the census is hiring temporary workers to help with the big count. One result of the census may mean another congressional seat for Oregon based on population growth here. Chris, what would that look like for Oregon? Sure. Well, Oregon has five seats 
in the U.S. House of Representatives, and those seats um, are divided amongst all of the states depending on population. So the number of seats in the U.S. House of Representatives does does not change from one census to the next. It's how they're divided among the states. So Oregon's population is increasing. It's just a question of whether it will increase enough to basically poach one of the seats from another state where the population presumably would be decreasing. And it looks like there's a a strong possibility that Oregon will have enough uh, new people, uh, whether by birth or by inward migration, to get a, a seat, another seat, that would be number six. So, of course, what that will also trigger is uh, dividing up the current seats that Oregon has. Now, that would happen anyway because population shifts around the state internally from one census to a next. But when you introduce the element of a, a whole new seat, uh, where once you divided Oregon five ways, you'll now have to divide it six ways. And uh, so that might mean that even if your uh, current Congress member um, is reelected, you might not have the same Congress member during the next election cycle. And of course, then, you know, there's a lot of jockeying amongst the political parties, Democrats and Republicans, to, um, div- you know, put their finger on the scales and, and divide up the state in such a way that um, Republicans might get a second congressional seat, or Democrats will want to have five out of six, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways that could go, of course. Uh, for this coming election cycle, there will be no changes. So where, wherever, whatever district you're in uh, right now, uh, as, as of uh, January of 2020, you will still be in come this November's election. It's really the numbers will not apply until the following election cycle. Of course, on a national scale, if you have six of your members in the House of Representatives, you have a little bit more influence collectively than when you just had five. Of course, if you know they don't all vote the same way, then that influence is diluted somewhat. But nevertheless, uh, states, generally speaking, want to have more members uh, of Congress, not less. And I should quickly mention this does not affect the U.S. Senate, of course, that and has and continues to be two senators for each state, regardless of population. So that's not going to change with the census. Yeah. And I mean, this year we are looking to, for certainly a change in one of our congressional districts with um, our only Republican representative, Greg Walden, deciding not to run again in 2020. So that seat is a toss-up, whether it continues to be a Republican seat or if a Democrat is able to win the seat. And then, of course, Representative Peter DeFazio's fourth district seat is is one of the ones that's, you know, being challenged the most sort of aggressively um, in terms of incumbent congressional seats. Right. And I think those two uh, districts that you mentioned are probably going to be the two most closely watched in Oregon this year on the congressional level because you have the longtime incumbent Greg Walden not running again. So now, arguably, the biggest uh, race there will be the, for the Republican nomination. So that will happen in May. It's not a shoe in of course, that the Republican will win in the general election, but certainly that district has a track record of electing Republicans. And of course, in Peter DeFazio's case, you have a, a longtime member of Congress who who seemingly can't get through an election cycle without having somebody pop up and try to unseat him. And of course, that's how democracy works. And there's a, a bunch of Republicans and even a couple of Democrats who are saying, hey, it's it's our turn. We want to win this seat as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, too. Well, Chris, any other new Oregon laws you think are important to mention? 
Well, there's certainly a, a slew of new laws that went into effect on January 1st. It, it should be noted that January 1st is sort of the default date for when a new law takes effect in Oregon. Uh, there are ones that have an emergency clause that go into effect immediately when the governor signs it. There are some that go into effect 90 days later, and, and the legislature can really set whatever date they want. But if, you know, with, with hundreds of bills being passed, they don't really take the time to set individual dates for all of them. So January 1 is when a lot of things go into effect. We talked about the plastic bag ban. Um, you know, there's a new law about having to ask for plastic straws instead of being given one automatically. Maybe that won't uh, shake up your world too much. Um, there was, interestingly, a, a an increase in the gas tax that was not tied to a law that went into effect this year, but rather tied to a bill that passed a couple of years ago, a big transportation spending package. So you might notice uh, slightly higher uh, prices at the gas pump when you go out to fill up your car for the first time this year. There was a I did a story on a, a new ban that took effect this year on something called um, that opponents of this call cyanide bombs. Uh, they have another. Uh, term M44, I believe, that wildlife agencies have used to trap and, and, and kill, really, um, certain predators, such as coyotes. Those are now banned in Oregon. That took effect January 1st. Um, proponents uh, say they're going to try to get that uh, extended nationwide. Of course, that would take an act of Congress, not the state legislature. Uh, and, and again, there's really so many more. One that was reported on uh, a, a lot in the past uh, few weeks was this concept of an Idaho stop where bicyclists can roll through a stop sign under certain conditions without literally coming to a stop. That might um, sort of uh, put into uh, law something that was widely practiced anyway. Um, but nevertheless, you can do that legally now uh, under certain conditions. So if, if you want to be in the clear, I guess you have to read up on that uh, as well. <laughs> it's called an Idaho stop? Well, apparently, I guess Idaho, the state of Idaho, that that place known for its progressive bicycle policies, um, enacted this quite a number of years ago. I mean, the basis of it is safety because a bicyclist that comes to a complete stop, then you know, it takes them longer to actually. Uh, ride through the intersection. So if you have a, a cross street with a lot of busy traffic, um, if you have a clear vision in both directions, I guess you can kind of slow down a little bit and then roll through without having to come to a complete stop. So you'll spend less time in the actual intersection with cross traffic potentially, um, you know, conflicting with, with your progression there. That's, that's great because I know that as, as a native Idahoan, we called those California stops ourselves. So. <laughs> well, that, that, and, that, and that's, that's often what they are called, I think, if, when people are in, in cars. Yeah, bikes but, must be. Right, yes. This law is for bicyclists only, it, 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 it would hasten to add. Not for cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who, as a, as a college student, got a ticket for doing that, I'm happy to know that finally, you know, Oregon laws have caught up. Strangely <laughs> enough to Idaho, that is surprising. I'm sure in a studio <laughs> with an outlaw. Wow. Well, the ticket got dropped because the police officer didn't show up for the court date. So. <laughs> well, Brian, you did a story looking back at the year 2019 and some of the news stories we covered over this past year. We were sure busy last year, uh, and there was a lot of stories to uh, cram into a roughly six-minute feature. In fact, many wound up on the uh, 
proverbial cutting room floor, but I, I narrowed it down, and I think among the uh, top ones for 2019, uh, starting off, would have to be the winter storms that hit us in late February. Uh, 18 inches of snow fell over two days, and it basically just shut down everything. The city and the school, the colleges, there were just a lot of down power lines, blocked off streets. Um, for about a week straight, people really struggled, and the uh, ending price tag was $30 million for Lane and Douglas counties. And everything, everywhere, you could just see it was just coming to a complete standstill. We had a little bit of tape from a uh, Amtrak passenger who you talked to after being trapped in a train for 36 hours. Um, and then the um, just the overall response, power crews, utility crews were just kept busy around the clock trying to get power restored in increments. Uh, if there's any silver lining that came out of this is that uh, city and county emergency response officials um, are saying now that it's good preparation for some other major disasters to expect coming down the pike, uh, most likely a cascading event, a big earthquake, uh, and also perhaps wildfires. So there's a little prep time for that. As far as the um, other issues and big stories of 2019, homelessness continues to be an ongoing concern. Uh, Eugene was actually ranked first in the nation when adjusted for population for U.S. cities uh, for homelessness. And I uh, uh, website uh, security.org had made that ranking. Uh, this was not very uh, well received by some of the uh, local officials here. When I talked to uh, uh, EPD Chief uh, Chris Skinner, he says we're very aware of the problem, but it always, you know, just kind of casts light on an issue that we're very well aware of. And these groups, I think, are just trying to, I think, draw traffic and attention and headlines. While uh, Mayor Lucy Venice said that uh, business owners uh, can be patient because there's a uh, coalition formed Eugene Wake Up of more than 100 businesses. She thought that uh, business owners could be part of the solution, uh, for instance, hosting more car campers on site. Um, we're not quite sure how that's being received, but it was an idea that's floated. And overall, the officials are saying in about two to three years, we're going to have 40 more police officers to kind of help continue uh, patrolling the city. Uh, which may be to help bring what they call lawlessness from, the, not homelessness, but they're making the distinction lawlessness from transients under control. And they're also still urging patients because there's that 10-point uh, TAC plan uh, being implemented by the city, and among the things that they're trying to do is create a 75-bed facility as well as create a few hundred more supportive housing units. And as far as the other uh, big stories from last year, um, walkouts were a common thing. We had a, a walkout in May, for, uh, basically for teachers. I believe that more than two dozen school districts across Oregon, including those in Salem and Eugene, uh, basically had teachers, students, and their supporters marching out dressed in red to support the higher and improve funding for schools, uh, basically to reduce class sizes and increase mental health counseling and just other important uh, facets that I thought that was very important to improve education across Oregon. And then we had um, a global, several global climate walkouts where student activists uh, took to the streets and basically wanted to denounce things such as global warming, uh, pollution, uh, plastics, and pipeline development were some of the big issues. And uh, to urge alternative energy over fossil fuels. 
And one of the uh, highlighted figures out of this is Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, who is seen by many as a role model and inspiration for many of these uh, demonstrators. There's uh, four, I believe, scheduled for the 2019-2020 academic year, and I think there's going to be one more scheduled, I believe, in March or May. I can't remember offhand. But it's a very active time for um, student environmentalists. And then finally, um, lawmakers themselves got into uh, the action. There were two Republican walkouts. Uh, this was on bills uh, related to school funding, strangely enough, that same month in May, and then also over um, legislation that dealt with cap and trade and vaccines. And uh, Chris, you were up there in Salem. You kind of saw a little bit more of this firsthand than we did here in Eugene. Uh, I understand that uh, a handful, actually uh, more than a dozen GOP lawmakers were more or less on the lam, weren't they? Right. Unlike some of the other walkouts that you were describing, where the, the people walking out uh, kind of went out in the streets and made some noise and, and had a very visible presence, the Republican state senators in Oregon uh, made themselves scarce when they walked out. They did not want to be found. Uh, and all evidence uh, points to them, most of them at least, leaving the state where presumably they would be out of reach of being rounded up by Oregon state police, which is is a, a hypothetical possibility. And it certainly made national news and even international news, the idea of legislative business grinding to a halt as um, about a dozen members of the state Senate uh, left the state. And some of them decided that they appreciated their moment in the limelight and did interviews from their hideout spots and, you know, wherever they were, uh, never was really fully disclosed. It was believed a lot of them went to Idaho uh, and some of them showed up on um, Vice News and ABC and, and so forth. And eventually they, they came back and they voted on things, but they did have the uh, impact they wanted in terms of killing off a couple of high-profile pieces of legislation that they were adamantly opposed to because Democrats certainly had the numbers uh, in some cases uh, for the bills to pass, but you need Republicans uh, there to provide a quorum. So it wasn't that they were leaving so they wouldn't have to um, provide votes to pass something. It was leaving so that their physical presence could not be uh, used to provide a quorum needed to conduct legislative business. Not an unprecedented situation in Oregon. Uh, the first time it really happened in, in an appreciable way for about 20 years, however, and uh, it remains to be seen whether in the short legislative session coming up next month in February that Republicans will use that tactic again because it's by and large the same set of lawmakers and talking about the, the same issues. So even though they only have five weeks, they might try to bring some of those bills back. And of course, Republicans will have to see whether they can hold together and uh, try that again if they feel like that's uh, something that they need to do. I'd be very curious to see if the, uh, the uh, Democrats have any recourse in case they do. I imagine that there were there was talk about fines, I believe, for a while, but I don't think anything was really imposed in the aftermath. The fines were, were dropped. Um, the, the Democrats didn't really want to 
uh, have a knockdown, drag out court battle over that. Um, you know, the the legal costs would far outsee the amount of fines that they would collect anyhow. And uh, you know, once the legislation uh, legislative session was over, it was it was kind of a moot point. I mean, they they did it and it was done. And then you know, they're they're moving on. Uh, if the Republicans try it again, uh, yeah, he, who knows what the reaction will be? The the ultimate recourse, of course, is that these are all seats that are up for a vote. So you know, Democrats want to do business without the need for Republicans. Well, they can win more seats in the state legislature. That's the ultimate strategy. Um, now, the long game could also include an amendment to the Oregon Constitution that would uh, sort of provide a way to conduct legislative business in the absence of lawmakers who have disappeared. Uh, that's something that would need to be voted on by the Oregon uh, public. But, uh, of course, that would not affect anything in the February session. So they're not going to lock the doors of the Capitol and keep everybody in? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, you know, once once they show up on the first day, um, you, you know, you can lock the doors and keep them all in to a point because, you know, the legislative sausage making process takes a little time to gear up. So things have to go through committee and, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's it's really it's kind of a chess game in a way, although it's it's a chess game that involves, um, you know, high profile pieces of legislation that could have an impact on Oregon for for generations chess game that could degenerate into freeze tag. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is the Northwest Passage. We'll be right back. Support for KLCC's Northwest Passage is provided by Columbia Bank. Columbia Bank team members have experience in the unique challenges of multiple industries, from healthcare to manufacturing. Learn more about their services for the business community at ColumbiaBank.com. Columbia Bank, where relationships rule, member FDIC. Welcome back to the Northwest Passage podcast on KLCC. I'm Rachel McDonald with Brian Bull and Chris Lehman. And now it's time for us to wrap up this episode by talking about just something that's on our minds this week. Brian, do you want to start? Well, I think probably the biggest thing that's impressed upon me so far this week just came on New Year's Day, and that was the big showdown between uh, traditional football rivals, the Oregon Ducks and the Wisconsin Badgers in the Rose Bowl. And that was one amazing game. Um, right from the very first quarter where you see Oregon, I believe, do a 70-yard scoring drive to open the game, uh, followed by uh, Wisconsin returning a kickoff and ran it in 95 yards for a successive touchdown to counter that. We all sat on our couch realizing this is not going to be a quick and done dirty game. Uh, it was a, a slugfest from start to finish that just basically uh, wound down to a victory for the Ducks. Uh, they won 28 to 27 against the Badgers and uh, as much as we love to root for the local team, I have a little bit of sympathy for the uh, Wisconsin Badgers because uh, they have not won what's called the granddaddy of them all uh, since January 1st of 2000. So uh, a couple of decades have passed. They uh, still have not uh, cinched the Rose Bowl, but they're a strong, viable, competitive team. I'm sure we'll see them again. Yeah, I've got no sympathy for them. Go Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, anything from you? 
I was interested in a story that came out of eastern Washington this week, but it really could have happened in eastern Oregon or a lot of other places across the American West. On a, a state highway outside of the Tri-Cities uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, there was a massive pileup of tumbleweeds that forced a 10-hour closure of the roadway. And even more shockingly, it, it basically buried several vehicles, including an 18-wheeler, and the drivers of those vehicles had to be rescued by uh, first responders. It was really, I mean, nobody was injured or hurt or anything like that, but it was really a, a startling situation to, to be in the highway and have this massive pile of tumbleweeds blow across and completely bury your vehicle. You know, there's sort of an iconic image, the rolling tumbleweed. We've all seen them, you know, blow across the road in front of us when we're out driving in, in that, you know, those, those necks of the woods. But um, when they they join up and, you know, attack you collectively, I guess, um, it can be kind of a a scary experience. And especially considering that a lot of these tumbleweeds are actually considered invasive species. If I recall right, Chris, I believe that tumbleweeds are also known as Russian thistle. And Mm -hmm. they came here in the early uh, colonial days. So there's another threat from Russia, I suppose, to uh, worry about. And Hollywood is always looking for inspiration for new disaster movies, so maybe Tumbleweeds is the uh, next big action epic to hit our screen soon. Well, having lived in the Tri-Cities, I am very familiar with the Tumbleweeds, but um, never dreamed of, I mean, just not something you would ever expect to happen. I'm trying to think of, like, the uh, New Year's Eve drivers who maybe had a little few too many, and uh, (laughs) they're already hammered out of their skulls, and then all of a sudden their car's buried in Tumbleweeds. What kind of experience would that have been for them? Well, I wanted to mention we had a couple good stories this week about death. KLCC's Tiffany Eckert reported on an 87-year-old woman who donated her body to Oregon Health and Sciences University for medical research. Her name was Paula Olch, and her daughter, Karen Olch, spoke with Tiffany about the decision to do this. Donating her body for medical research and education made total sense to her. She was curious and thoughtful and kind and compassionate. And to me, it, it, it completely fit with who she was. And apparently, um, her brain tissue um, will be looked at, especially for Parkinson's research. This was something that was very important to Karen's mom. And so we have that story from Tiffany. It's on our website, klcc.org. That was a very good story. We also had a story um, about an organic farm outside of Ashland that plans to open Oregon's first modern natural burial ground this spring. That story from JPR's April Ehrlich. Uh, So a couple interesting stories looking at alternative things to do with your body after you die. This is part of the uh, green funerals movement, I take it? I believe so, yeah. All right. So um, just really quickly, um, looking ahead to 2020, any resolutions for the new year? whether it's personal or news-oriented? I'll give you both, Rachel. Um, Personally, I am going to repeat the New Year's resolutions that have uh, done me well the last 20, 30 years. Uh, In other words, they're consistent. Uh, Get outdoors more often, lose some weight, get more sleep, and spend less time on my phone. Uh, Those have been pretty much in place since uh, my 20s. (laughs) And uh, as far as like uh, professional New Year's resolutions, I think I would like to kind of explore ways to educate the public on how news is done, uh, how we do our jobs, and why we do our jobs. 
Uh, that'll probably be something I'll share maybe on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, maybe Twitter. But in this age of um, fake news and uh, the fourth estate being under attack by an administration that brands us the enemies of the people, I think it's very important that people um, retain their trust in us and that we establish credibility. And I think a large part of that is helping them understand and explain just how and why we do our work. On my end, I'd say on a professional level, it's to keep a steady course and in the the face, especially in an election year when lots of rumors and misleading campaign commercials uh, get uh, shared around on TV and social media, is to be a a source of solid, unbiased information. I you know I think that's been true throughout my professional career. Uh, that's been a goal at least, uh, and would especially continue that hopefully this year during this divisive time in our country. And uh, on a personal level, I guess a personal resolution is uh, I, I recently wrote a, a children's book. Um, and, and when I say I wrote it, I typed it up on a Word document on my computer. So my, my resolution is not to get it published. I'm not under any illusion that I'm going to have that happen. But uh, I resolve to at least submit it somewhere to uh, p- potentially get that fabled uh, rejection letter uh, and, and take some pride in at least having tried. As an aspiring novelist myself, Chris, I will assure you that there's not just one rejection letter out there. There are dozens. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll make a spot in my wall for them, I guess. <laughs> but good for you. That's exciting. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Well, my resolution having to do with work is following in what you said, Chris, to be really careful and thoughtful and make sure to fact check and make sure that what we're putting out on the air and, and on our website is accurate and also to look for voices that we're not always hearing on um, on our on our airwaves to, to bring out more diverse voices. So those are my those are my work resolutions. In terms of my personal resolutions, kind of you know eat more healthy, exercise more, but also be nicer. You know, take care of myself, but also be kinder to to everyone, myself included. So just be more thoughtful and careful about how I treat others. So thanks, everyone, for joining us for the Northwest Passage. I'm KLCC News Director Rachel McDonald. I'm reporter Brian Bull. And I'm reporter Chris Lehman. Bye. Support for the Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC.